You guys have been doing an awesome series called Sword and Spear. Maybe it should be not with Sword and Spear. You're talking about the life primarily of David and his relationship that happens within his, his kind of being anointed as king. And then, and then the crazy thing that happened when, uh, when he went and fought a great battle that you guys, you know, as little kids, we always think, you know, David fighting the big Goliath, right? And, uh, and that's one of the crazy, uh, interesting things that he says here in the verse in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45 through 47. It says, you, David says to, uh, to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I mean, I think that might be a little more powerful. Yeah, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And he goes on to say, a little bit later on, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So the reason why God was going to help David wasn't so that David could be victorious, but rather that God was going to protect his own name. And God was going to honor his word and who he is. And God was going to use David to do that. And that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47 said, And that all this assembly, all those gathered around, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So you guys have been studying this over the last three or four weeks. It's a great series. I got the chance to listen to multiple people from neighborhood churches uh, listen to your messages. I listened to a couple other messages, and it's been kind of fun. I want to say that I can give, compare notes, and you can, anyways, we can talk about that. No, but it's great. It's a great series, and it's a great, uh, a great text to look into. You know, what I love about the Bible is that God doesn't just tell us this airy fairy story of all these perfect people who never do anything wrong, and how when He comes, He makes everything super easy. And when you start to follow God, you just walk on water and just money starts pouring in, your health gets better, and everything is perfect when you walk, when you follow God. Is that what your Bible says? Because I, I, my Bible doesn't talk like that. And when we find the person of David, we find this amazing character who we look back you know, historically, thousands of years, we go, God, David is a man after God's own heart. And we think, oh, he was a great king, and oh, he had life so easy. Well, now we're starting to get into his story, and we're discovering his life wasn't so easy. We're discovering that there was a lot of trial in his life. And as we look at David's life, we're also looking at the people around David. What I love about the Bible is only does it give us the hero, as it were, the story of like David or Moses, these other people in the Bible, but then there's all these characters around them right? And what I love about the Bible is it shows us a picture of who God is and how God interacts with mankind. And the way, you know, the way to get to know someone is spend some time with them. When my wife and I started to get to know each other, I would love to take her on a drive and we would go on dates and we would go for walks and we would, why? Because we wanted to know each other. And we spent time together getting to know each other. And then I would observe, I would observe her with other people, I would listen to the testimony of what other people were saying about her. I would find out more about her, not only by my interaction with her, but my interactions with watching her engage others. Now, how many of us would like to know God just a little bit better? I know I would. What's awesome about the Scripture is it lets us walk into the life of what God is doing. We get to see God engage all different types of people, all different types of circumstances, and we get to see who He is. You know, Malachi teaches us that he says, I am God. And he says, I do not change. 
Can you say that with me? I am God and I do not change. Ready? I am God and I do not change. So when God starts to treat a certain person a certain way, that is the nature and character of God. And he doesn't change how he's going to treat me or you. This is who God is. God is not a capricious God that decides, I like you more than I like you. Let me just let me just change my character to be nice to you and terrible to you. God doesn't behave that way. God is who God is. How many think that's a good thing? And so when I read the scripture and I watch these incredible stories that we're looking at now, we see both the character of the people, we see how they engage God, and we see how God engages them. And we ourselves get to grow in our knowledge of God. We don't only want to get smarter this morning, amen? How many of us want to be able to get closer to God, know Him better, and have a sense in our own life of what we should be doing so that we can find the fulfillment that God has called us to live in His way? That's what I want. Well, it's interesting that we find in this, this, this series that you guys are in, Jesus was, was being asked, He says, are you the king of the Jews? Right? Are you the king of the Jews? In John chapter 18, Jesus replies and he says, I think I have the verse there in the next slide. Jesus answered and says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And so when we start thinking about things, we get tied into the physical, and often we get tied into the immediate. Right? If God, God, I, I prayed a prayer, I put my money in the vending machine, and I pressed the Coke dispenser, and nothing came out. This machine doesn't work, right? Well, God isn't, He's not a machine, He's not a, he's not a Coke dispenser. He's the king of the universe, he's the God of everything. He sees everything, He made everything, He's over all things, and He has a plan. And we can't always see it. And it doesn't always work out in our immediate. We don't always have the answers that we want because do we see the big picture? The answer, of course, is no. But he does. And so it's really important to get our brain around who God is, what he's doing, and how he's operating. When we think about this story about David, we found that David went and he went to go hang out with his brothers because they were getting ready to fight a big battle against the Philistines. So he thought, so he brought food over to them by his father's order and come to find out there was this big giant walking around mocking God and mocking the Israelites. And David said, that's not cool. And so you know the story. Three sermons ago, you heard it. And so we found that David then killed Goliath. And then after that amazing battle, he took Goliath's own sword and cut Goliath's head off with his sword. And then the army started to fight, and the Philistines fled, and thousands and tens of thousands of Philistines were destroyed. And so then when, when, the, uh, when they all came back to Jerusalem for a big parade, it wasn't Saul who was being celebrated anymore. It was David. And we find then that the person, the antagonist in this story is Saul. Saul, of course, if you're not familiar, is the king of Israel at the time. He is actually the first king of Israel. He was appointed because he was tall and he looked good. Okay, those are good reasons to pick a leader, right? Good thing you guys didn't do that here. <laughs> I have to pick on him because he has more hair than I do. So I have to find my, have to find my little, to find my little digs. So <laughs> you guys are wiser than the Israelites were. And, uh, and <laughs> that was kind of a body slam. Sorry about that. But the, the point I'm making is, is that, is that, um, 
the idea that the sword was going to be the conquering thing, that, that the, because Goliath was big and strong and because he had a big spear and because he had all of the armaments, he was going to be intimidating and he was going to win. Of course, the reality was is that God was going to win the battle and God did win the battle and we see that in David's life. But yet, in God winning the battle, it doesn't mean that everyone was willing to allow God to be the winner. Amen? Do you understand? I, I want God to give me all the good stuff I want all the benefits that God gives me, but I don't really want to give me to God. You know what I'm saying? How many of you continue to enjoy the blessings of God even though there are many days we don't actually acknowledge Him or yield our life to Him? What I love about God is He he shines and He brings His rain on the just and the unjust. We have a gracious and loving God. Book of Romans, it says in chapter 12, it says, in view of God's mercy, I present myself to all these things. I love it that each Sunday you guys read a a, a passage of Scripture about confession, but then you also have the reminder that God has forgiven. There is a reality between those two things. And what we see in this text, as we follow the story of David, he's in this seesaw between what's going on with Saul, who's not willing to Deal with the fact that David is going to be king, David is going to be honored, and he's not going to be honored, and his son is not going to be king, and his heritage will not live on, and his anger and his bitterness grow. And now Saul is finding moments when he wants to kill David, and moments when he wants him to go back and fight another battle for him. And moments he wants, and he goes back and forth, and you guys have heard the different stories. In fact, last Sunday, the story of, of what uh, Saul's anger had risen up to a point where, where he was waiting for David at a special ceremony for a Jewish kind of festival, and David would never miss those, and he didn't get there. And finally, he says, where's David? And his, David's best friend, his own son, Jonathan, right, says, well, I gave him permission to go because he was going to be with his family, which was a lie, but that's okay. He said this is what he's kind of making a dismiss for, for David, and Saul got really angry. Remember, Saul picked up a spear, and he hurled it at his own son. And his anger was boiled up so much against David. Of course, he had hurled that spear many times at David, and good thing he wasn't a good shot, because otherwise, I'm not sure he wasn't a good shot. I just think God might have protected both men at that time. But what we find now is that David is clearly not in the good books with Saul, and Saul is now furious, and he's overwhelmed with anger and rage, and he really wants to take out David. And if you remember in the story, it wasn't so long ago that David was with Samuel, and he was anointed king over all of Israel. So his calling, his promise of what God's going to do with him is to rule over all Israel. And yet now he finds himself in servitude to the king and to the king who's jealous of him, the king who's trying to kill him, and the king who's chasing him, and he's running for his life. Now you ask yourself the question, can you identify with that? I thought it was excellent, Oren, some of the comments that you gave about how to deal with kind of um, abusive relationships and all of those things that came out of that last Sunday. So if you hadn't been here last Sunday, I'd encourage you to go back and listen. Um, There was some good counsel about how to deal with people who are abusive and what to do about that. Um, but we, but this, but the story didn't end. Of that was it. Now he's no longer abusive. <laughs> he's still, he's still in the story. He's still in the center of the story. And we find David now. David is out of his mind. He's disillusioned. 
He's running and he doesn't understand all that's happening to him. And I ask yourself that question. I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking, have I started to just not understand the world I'm living in? Is the circumstances that I find myself in so ridiculous almost that I just kind of get disillusioned and I start to flail at trying to find a solution how to move forward and do the right thing? You ever been there? Maybe you've um, been doing a great job at your work and you come in and the boss gives you your slip to say you're out. Maybe you come home to find out your parents are going to split up and you don't quite understand. Or maybe you came home to a spouse and they said we're done and you don't understand and you're trying to figure it out. I think all of us have had, if we've had some life underneath us, some moment where something has turned a corner, even though we might have even seen it coming a while, but it's just now the reality of it stands in front of us and it's so large we can't fight against it and how do you obey God and how do you honor God when the other party is really not being very honorable (coughs) how do you deal with that and if you're like me and I think if you're like David you start to flail and you start to have disillusionment you you kind of behave in your own strength and I think we're going to discover that if we look now in first Samuel chapter 21 through chapter 22 you open your Bibles with me I'm going to read the first seven verses. And if you have your little notes, you have the little sheet of paper with your notes. I've got a couple of points. You guys probably have better ones to write down than I put out, but I'm just going to give you a starting point to think about some thoughts. There's lots of things to draw out of this text, so it's not limited to my thoughts here. But my first point is I think sometimes we're asking for the wrong things. When we get disillusioned, when we feel overwhelmed, we're running, we're trying to find our place, I think sometimes in that space, we can, start being, we can start asking for the wrong things. We find David now, and says in chapter um, 21, verse 1, when David came to Nod, to Nob, to Ahimelech, my brother is king. Ahimelech, the priest. When Ahimelech met David, he trembled. What is going on with Ahimelech? And asked him, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Guys, in the story, David is like the commander of the armies of Israel. If he goes anywhere, he has an entourage. He's not like this lowball whatever. He's not like you and me walking around. He's like an official. And if he's walking around by himself, what does that typically mean? Something's wrong. (laughs) Something's wrong. And this priest is not stupid, okay? He's smart. He's like, David, where are your men? What's going on here? What's happening? He immediately recognizes there's something wrong. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And so David has come to this priest. This is the place where he goes to worship. Other people have gone to worship there. There, It's clear that he's been there before. He goes there often to worship. But what is he doing there? Verse 2. He says, the king has given me a mission. David replied. Remember, this is after Saul threw a spear at Jonathan because he felt like Jonathan had betrayed him because he was more for David than he was for him. And now David's running for his life. So did Saul give him a mission? No, it's a lie. The king has given me a mission, David replied. He told me no one is to know about the mission or charge. (laughs) And I have directed my young men to meet me at a certain place. Uh Uh-huh. 
Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread and whatever can be found. So David goes to a holy place. We don't know if this is the tabernacle because it's not been written. It's not clear. Certainly not the temple. It hasn't been built yet. So it's some kind of place where these priests are meeting and the priests are doing sacraments for the, for the people of God. And he goes to the right place, but he asks the wrong questions. Where can I find food for my belly? Does David really need food for his belly right now? Does he need God? He needs God. But he's so whacked out, so out of his space, so uh, trying to solve a problem. He's like, where do I go? Um, Saul's going to kill me. Um, let me go to the holy place where I can like sanctuary. Maybe I can go there. No one's going to kill me over there. And maybe they'll give me some food, right? That's what he's doing. I don't blame him. Like it's normal. It's human. It's not, a, it's not an unhuman thing to do. But is it the right thing to do? So in verse 4, there is no common bread on hand, the priest replied, but there is some consecrated bread provided that the young men have kept themselves from women. Now, this is kind of complicated. There are Jewish um, things that they do, um, ritualistic um, processes to sanctify or make something holy. And the priests were consecrated this bread. So there was special bread. It's called show bread. It was there to be on the, on the, on the table of presentation. It was there to demonstrate um, life and gift for God. And, um, and so this is always present. In fact, they keep it fresh every day. This was they made bread, but it wasn't for anybody. It had already been blessed. It was sitting there and specifically designed for this purpose. And, and so the priest says, well, David, you know, if, if, if you're going to give this to your men, but was David going to give this to his men? He's going to give it to himself. Okay. David, David, if you're going to give this to men, your men can't, can't have had relations with women in order to have this food because it had to be a special, um, they had to be clean. And so there's a whole process of the, how that was supposed to be. And David, of course, tells him, oh, no, no, my men, my men don't do that. Verse 5, David answered, Women have indeed been kept from us, as is usual when I set out. And the equipment of the men, of young men, is holy, as it is even on common missions and all the more at this time. So he says, when we go to do our missions, that's not how we behave. So that this, is, this is not a problem. It's good. So he tells the priest a lie. And then he tells a priest about what's going on which is also not really true. It's not really related. And so the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread there for the bread of the presence, which had been removed from before the Lord and replaced with hot bread on the day it was taken away. So we notice later on, Jesus actually refers to this very instance. So we see that the Pharisees were giving uh, his, his disciples a hard time for eating grain and eating bread. And, um, and, and they were like, why aren't you supposed to follow all of these rules? And, and then Jesus says to him, no, no, God made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? I, I made the rules not to hold everyone back so that it can make you better. And so we find that even in this situation, that though this was God allowed this to happen, that the priest was given permission to allow David to have this bread. And even though it wasn't really what he needed, God gave it to him anyways. Now, there's so much in this text. I want to stay on each one of these points and preach for hours. But I just want you to think about a thought. How many times can you look back and know that you weren't making the right choices and God was still protecting you in it? Just think about that. When you read that story again, you'll discover this is what David finds himself. He's not doing it. So he says, 
He says, uh, so the priest gave him the consecrated bread. And, uh, and since there was no bread there for the... For, so now verse 7. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, the Edomite. Was he an Israelite? Was he a Jew? No, he was, an, he was from the line of Esau. He was an Edomite. And that's going to be important, the chief of shepherd for Saul. So this was his job. He was in Saul's court. He was at Saul's table. He was... He was in Saul's inner chamber, inner, inner court. And what does he notice? Who's he finding there at this place? David. Who's Saul trying to kill? David. Okay. All right. Then he says, now we go to, to, to verse 8. And I want to give you another thought. David now is looking for the wrong things. And we're going to see that here even verse 8 and verse, to verse 9. But the other thing that he's going to do, because he's flailing and he's looking for help, He's going to look to the enemy for help. David's going to look to the enemy for help. And we see in verse 8, he says, Now, then David asked Ahimelech, Is there not a spear or a sword on hand here? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapon with me, because the king's business was urgent. So David was looking for the wrong thing. Remember, it was not with swords and spears that we're going to win, right? But by the help of God. And what is David looking for? Food? And he's looking for a sword or a spear, or some kind of weapon to protect himself. And so the priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, who you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want, you may take it, for there is no other one like this one. Now, I don't know about you, but a sword that's made for a guy who's 9'6", is probably bigger than David. Even if David is a relatively tall young um, Israelite young man, he might be 5'8", maybe, maybe 6 feet. But a, this sword is probably, <laughs> this is probably like a broadsword. Like this is a big, this is a, I don't know why he's going to do with that. But anyways, he's got the sword and he's got the sword that reminded him of when God actually protected David's life with a slingshot. He killed Goliath and now he's got Goliath's sword as his protection. And that's interesting. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Verse 9. Now verse 10. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achaish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing about him in the dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands? Like, they're like confused. These guys are from the Philistines. This is Goth. This is a place, this is the area where the Philistines lived. And they're like, all of a sudden, David is going to the very place where Goliath was born and raised. So David has Goliath's sword, and he's going to where... Go he killed Goliath. These are the people who are probably wanting to kill him. And now he's sitting at their, their city. And I don't know why he's there. This is really confusing. Why has he got Goliath's sword? And why is he sitting in the city where the people who he had killed are? And they're like, isn't he supposed to be king one day? Oh, and isn't he the guy they keep saying that, uh, that he's killed the ten thousands? Now, verse 12. Now, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Akash and the king of Goth, and so he changed his behavior before them and feigned madness in their hands and scratched on the doors of the gate and let saliva run down his beard. Now all of a sudden he's, he's got an escape plan. He's got to act like a crazy person. Oddly enough, in the old, in the ancient world, there was some kind of like, I don't know how to express it, but they had a fear of the, of the, of the, of the gods if you did something harmful to people who were crazy. So they couldn't hurt you if you were crazy. 
So David goes, I don't know what to do. I'm sitting in the middle. Of, why did I brought myself? I don't know. But now I'm sitting in the middle of the city of the enemy. And now they're hearing that they know who I am. And the king now wants to kill me. Let me act like I'm crazy. And so he acts like he's a crazy man, scratching at the doors. doors um, and he's got his beard. He's like drooling all over himself. And it's just crazy scene. And so I love, I love what the king says here. Um, this is a crazy thing. Then Akash said to his servants, verse 14, Look, you can see that this man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Am I in need of a madman that you have brought this man to rave in my presence? Like the king's like, what in the banana juice are you doing? This is ridiculous. He says, well, this is just craziness. Why do you have a madman hanging out in my court? I have enough madmen running around my court. I don't need a new one. Must this man come into my house? Well, then we have David returning home. That would be my next point. Returning home. When we start to flail, we start to run away, we have hard things, we start to get ourselves into trouble. And the truth is, God is protecting us all along the way, even if we're not making the best decisions. And we think we get ourselves, I mean, we think that David's becoming a madman protected him. Well, it is what he did, but I think God was protecting him. I'm not so certain it was his being a goofball with his spitting on his beard and stuff. I don't know. So, but, but now look what happens in verse 1, chapter 22. So David left Gath and took refuge in the cave of Adullam. Adullam is now in Israel. It's no longer, he's not in the Philistine territory, and now he's going back to where he probably had grazed his sheep, and he had, as a young boy, walked into these caves. He'd been around there. He knew where this was. He's coming back home. And when his brothers and the rest of his father's household heard about it, they went down, down to him there. And look at verse 2. And all who were distressed or indebted or discontented rallied around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. So I don't think that things happen in secret. How many of you know that uh, all the secrets that you think you have are known to most other people? Yeah, so David is being chased and wanting to be killed by Saul. Do you think anybody in Israel doesn't know that? They all know that, okay? So David is now, he's like public enemy number one, but has David done anything wrong? No. And David has now won battles for Israel. He's, he's conquered, and, and he's supposed to be king. In fact, the people know he's supposed to be king, and here's Saul sitting up on the throne. And what do they do? And so now there are all kinds of other people who are running from difficult situations in life. And they look to David and they go, David, if you can make it, I'm going to follow you. Did you see, did you see verse 2? Did you read, read verse 2 again. Just look down in your Bibles. Read verse 2. All who are distressed or indebted or discontented rallied around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. In fact, out of this 400 men, we're going to find David's mighty men. These broken people who are hurting and have challenges and are in debt or have other issues in life, they can't figure it out. They look to David as a leader because he has now come back home. And so many of us, when we're in trouble, we have challenges when things are overwhelming us. We're running away. We're trying to solve our own problems. And what we need to do is remember our call. David's call was to be king of Israel. And though he wasn't allowed to be king yet, he needed not to run away from his call. He needed to come home. And when David started to come home, you know what God did? God brought people to him. God brought help to him. God allowed him to be used. In fact, if you look at this story and you compare it to the book of Chronicles, you'll find out that David was not just 
Um, he was not just running and doing all those things. He was also, he had this militia of 400 men. He was fighting for Israel. He was taking out the enemy, different places, and having all kinds of battles. This doesn't happen in a minute. This story here, he just says it like it's like 30 seconds, but this is like a year and a half of, of time that's going around at this time in the story. We find now that David has all these men coming to him, and they're helping him, and they're going to be on his side. And from there, David went to Mizpah of Moab. So now David goes to Moab. Do you know where, you did know David was actually a descendant of the Moabite? Ruth, right? David is a descendant of Moabite. So he goes to the king of Moab, and he brings his family to the king of Moab. And he says, let my father and my mother stay with you until I learn what God will do for me. So he left them in care of the king of Moab, and they stayed with him, and the whole time David was in the stronghold. So now David has got his mighty men. David has taken his family to protect him so Saul doesn't just wipe them out because he's, he's very willing to do that. And now David's in the stronghold, and now it seems like he's ready to go. But now that David has come home, now that God is using David, look at this verse, this verse here, verse 5. Then the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Herod. You think, well, that's just a little verse. No. Guys, if you're reading the story, chapter 21 is David trying to solve his own problem his own way. Chapter 22, David is coming back to home to do what he's supposed to do. And when he starts to come back to do what he's supposed to do, you know what he does? He, can you say this with me? He hears from God. Can you say it with me? He hears from When you start to come back, home. You start to do what God's called you to do. You know what you're going to start to do? You're going to hear from God. Some of us aren't willing to hear from God because we're not willing to go back to do the thing we know we're called to do. I'm going to blame us. It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> David was running for his life. But he's starting to come home, and when he started to come back to do what he's called to do, God was speaking to him through this prophet. Now he goes out of this forest. Verse 6. I have a terrible story to read here. I call this the cost of fear. The cost of fear. Now, there's many other things coming out of this story, but just say it here, cost of fear. First Samuel chapter 22, verse 6 says, Soon Saul learned that David and his men had been discovered, and at that time Saul was in Gibeah, sitting under the Tamarisk tree on the hill of Gibeah with his spear in hand. Right? Talking about where we find our strength. He's got his spear in hand. Okay, and all his servants standing around him. And then Saul said to his servants, Listen, men of Benjamin. So Saul was from Benjamin. In the, is the son of Jesse giving all of you fields and vineyards and making you commanders of thousands of hundreds? He's being facetious and sarcastic here. He's like, is someone bribing you? What do you say? Are you being bribed by this David guy? Verse 8. Is that why all of you have conspired against me? Who's living in fear and is almost out of his mind? Saul. He's paranoid. He's schizophrenic. He's whacked out. He's angry. He's bitter. And he doesn't trust anybody, anyone around him. And he's calling out all of the people around him and being very difficult with all of them. Not one of you told me that my own son had made a covenant with the son of Jesse. Not one of you has shown concern for me or revealed to me that my son has stirred up my own servant to lie and wait against me, as is the case today. So is David lying in wait to kill Saul? Answer? Real, real loud. Answer? No. Saul is... He's out of his mind. He's bound up in fear. 
He's not obeying God. He's not trusting God. He's trying to take things in his own hands. And he's not accepting what God has said he's going to do. Saul lost the kingdom when he gave up, when he took over the land and he didn't kill everything he was supposed to. He didn't do what God asked him to do. God said, the kingdom is no longer yours. I'm giving it to another person. Now, God has allowed Saul to live long enough to still reign. Instead of enjoying his reign, instead of thanking God for the provision, thanking God for him allowing him to be king and protecting his son, he is trying to take matters into his own hands. He's trying to kill David. Like, are we going to be able to stop the will of God? Anyone here think they can stop the will of God? Good luck on that, okay? And because we're trying to fight against something we cannot overcome, we start to lose our mind. Our anger, our bitterness, our resentfulness drives us mad. And we start to hurt all the people around us. We start to take matters into our own hands. And the cost of fear is great. Watch how terrible the cost of fear is here. He says now, verse 8, verse 9, But Doeg, the Edomite, he wasn't an Israelite, right? who was stationed himself with Saul's servants, answered, I saw the son of Jesse come to Abimelech. Now, no one, none of your friends, of, none of these Benjamites who you put in high positions around you are going to give you any answers to your questions, O king. But I, Mr. Edomite, non-Jewish guy, wants you to die and them die too. I saw the son of Jesse come to Abimelech, son of Ahatub, at Nob. Ahimelech required of the Lord for him and gave him provisions. He also gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. You go, bum, 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 right? Fall, Saul's fears were, were validated because David has now got Goliath's sword. And he, certainly his plan is to come and kill Saul with it. How many think that's the plan? What do you think Saul thinks? That's the plan. Okay, He's sure. Now, this guy has told me the truth. Then king sent messengers to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahatub, and his father's whole family, who were priests at Nob. This is a whole lineage. These are, these are descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. This is a whole town full of people who serve God and wait on people who are priests. The whole town are priests. And now he's asked all the leaders of the town to come to him. And all of them came to the king in verse 12. Listen now, son of Ahateb, said Saul. Here I am, my lord, he replied. And Saul asked him, why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? Is that what he did? Not at all. You gave him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him so that he could rise up against me to lie in wait as he is doing today. Guys, a lot of us have false truths in our head because we've got fear running through our body and we lose our judgment and our ability to think properly. We're not asking God. We're not looking to God. We're not listening to God. we got our own thoughts, and they're twisting our head up, and it's going to hurt a lot of people. I can tell you right now, I'm currently living through something like that. People are twisted up in their heads, and they hold things against you that are not true. Lies, and you have to figure out what to do with this. David is not trying to fight Saul. David is trying to do what's right. And he's caught up, but Saul is still in his situation. And he still has his authority and his power. And, and people with a lot of authority and power who are bound up in fear and bitterness and anger make some really bad choices. And we're going to see that here in a second. So, why have you done this? 
Ahimelech answered in verse 14, Who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Now that's such a true statement. Saul tried to kill him three times that we know of written, and he still came back and played the harp for him. Like, I wouldn't have been back in that guy's presence to save my life. David came back three different times after he was spears thrown at his head. Like, you're going to go back and hang out with that guy? I don't think so. Who, he says, who among all your servants is as faithful as David, the king's son-in-law, the captain of your bodyguard, who is honored in your house? Was that the day, the first time I inquired of God for him? Far be it from me. In other words, I've been helping, I've been inquiring of David. I've been inquiring of God for David many, many times. David's come to worship God and seeks God on a regular basis, and I have been his priest, is what he's saying. Far be it from me. In other words, there wasn't anyone trying to hurt you. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of my father's household, for your servant knew nothing of what of this whole affair, nor not in part or in whole. In other words, even though David did lie to him, saying that he had a special mission from the king, David still didn't have any intention of hurting the king, and nor did this priest try to hurt Saul in any way. But the king replied, You will surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, Turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because they too have sided with David, for they knew he was fleeing, but they did not tell me. How would you like to be those guards next to Saul that day, being asked to kill holy people who've done nothing wrong. But the king's servants would not lift a hand to strike the priest of the Lord. And say, praise God. Courage. Courage. King could have you killed now, right? Courage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Verse 18, so the king ordered Doeg. Who is he? Edomite. He doesn't care about these priests and Israelites. You turn and strike down the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest himself. On that day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Noab and the city of the priest with, with his men, women, children, and infants, oxen, doxens, and donkeys, and sheep. I don't want to stay there too long, but that's ridiculously gross and terrible. Every part of that is ridiculous, gross, and terrible. And why did it happen? Fear. Cost of fear. Okay, we're almost done. Finishing up chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 20. I call this trusting God. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, son of Itab, escaped. His name was Abiathar. And he fled to David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And then David said to Abiathar, I knew that Doeg, the Edomite, was there that day, and that was that he was sure to tell Saul, I myself am responsible for the lives of everyone in your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks your life is seeking mine as well. You'll be safe with me. David, in his, in his trying to solve his own problems, was so caught up in his own issues that he wasn't really thinking about the reality of his, of his behavior or his circumstances around him. If he was in his right mind when he went to the priest, 
when he would have asked the priest to seek God for him instead of looking for food or a sword, how many think this would have played out a little differently? David now looks back and he remembers that who was there? Yeah, this crazy guy. And he knew that that guy was going to tell Saul, and he knew that Saul was trying to kill him. He knew that if that guy found out he was there, that that priest was in danger. If he would have thought about it, but who was he thinking about when he was talking to that priest? Himself. And how many of us, if we're honest, we try to solve problems on our own, we're thinking about our own stuff, we're flailing, and we get ourselves in trouble, and sadly we get other people in trouble around us. We're not trying to. It's unintended. David wasn't trying to hurt this, this priest. Sadly, it ruined it for him and his whole family. But trusting God, you know what's going to happen out of this? This guy, Abiathar, is going to become the priest, the most high priest for all of David's kingship. And his family are going to be the priest throughout that new temple. And David's going to look to him for spiritual counsel later on. Guys, we've got to trust God. The story isn't done yet. The story isn't done yet. If we go into Psalm chapter 34, David writes this in the middle of this journey that you're finding. David writes this psalm, Psalm 34, while he's running from Saul. And there's lots to the psalm. I'm just going to look at a couple of verses, verse 17 to 18, and then verse 21 to 22. In Psalm 34, David says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Who are those 400 people that came to him? David hasn't got the solutions yet, right? It isn't all figured out. It's very messy. David isn't sitting in like complete, everything's great now. But David says in his prayer in Psalm 34, while he's still running from Saul, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles and the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I'm telling you that it may not look like in the moment everything is going to work out. It may not look like God is answering you, but I'm trying to tell you that in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of where you are, God hears your cry. And he's for the brokenhearted. And he's for those who are troubled in spirit. And he's going to meet you there. And the solutions aren't going to come the way you want. David isn't magically lifted up from the situation and tomorrow placed on the throne and all of a sudden pixie dust comes out. He's got a whole lot of trouble he has to walk through before he gets Saul out of there. You're going to keep reading more about the story. But David's faith, his trust is not in his circumstances. His trust is in his God. And dear friend, that's what we need to place our trust to. Amen? This is what David is calling us out to, and he tells this guy who just lost his entire family, his whole town was killed. He says, look, guy, I know you're in trouble. I'm in trouble too, but you know what? We're both going to trust God together. We'll be safe because we're going to trust God together. He goes on to say in that, that passage, verse 21, Psalm 34, evil will slay the wicked. What happened to Saul? The foes of the righteous will be condemned. One day we're going to stand before a holy God. Guys, don't worry. The righteous judge will do what's right. The Lord will rescue his servants, verse 22, and no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. 
Church, there's so much in this text you can read through it many times. I've given you a couple thoughts. One of them is, are we asking for the wrong things? We're at the right place. We came to church this morning. <laughs> Where is my Tesla? You know, how come my bank account isn't like got more zeros? You know, like we're asking for the wrong things. And sometimes we're looking to the enemy. We want to take refuge in the people who are not God. But what we need to do is we need to turn home. What's God called you to? What is he asking you to do? doing in your life. You need to return home. And when we return home, we can hear from God. And we need to realize there's a great cost of fear. Fear will destroy. Fear will delusionize. Fear will create all kinds of mayhem. And it will cost. Don't be bound by fear. Don't be bound by fear. The last point here is we need to trust God. How many are glad He never fails? We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. And it won't be perfect until He comes back again, and I can't wait, amen? But until He comes, He still is God, and He still listens to me. If I am actually on my knees, yielding myself to Him, His will, and His way, and those solutions may not come the way I want them to come, but He's a good God. He will take care of me, and He will take care of you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You this morning for Your Word. A lot of stories here, we could stay on one of them probably for hours and think about them. Would Your Holy Spirit speak to us about Your Word, what You're teaching us through Your Word? Help us, Lord, to look at the characters in the stories and discover who you want us to be, how you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to not act in fear. Help us to ask the right questions. Help us to trust you, God. You're good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.